Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Today's episode is brought to you by Intuitive Birth Doula Services. Did you know menstrual shame is a key factor that predisposes women to approach birth feeling fearful, disempowered, and vulnerable to intervention? Live Your Cycle is a resource aimed at educating, inspiring, and facilitating the space for those with a menstrual cycle to take full advantage of the benefits it provides. Whether you are hoping to conceive in the future, have already had your children, or are not yet thinking about children, your menstrual cycle is a gateway into stripping back the layers of social conditioning and menstrual taboo. It is an opportunity to begin living from a space of intention and self-connection. In this resource, you will learn the different seasons of your menstrual cycle, your second fertile window, exercise and nutrition recommendations, journal prompts and ritual ideas, as well as an understanding of how to chart your cycle. Cara has included her own creation of a menstrual chart, which includes a wholesome viewpoint of the menstrual cycle and how it plays out in our everyday lives. Oh, and you can also pick up a sneaky discount for your very own crystal wand. With a sliding scale option and a portion of the sales going to Period Project, you can find this resource on Cara's website, www.intuitivebirth.com.au. Join me, Cara, and many other women across the globe as we flip menstrual taboo on its head and learn to live our cycle with the pride and love it deserves. Welcome back everyone to season three of Positive Birth Australia. I am beyond excited to be back sharing inspiring and educational stories to assist you along your journey. It gives me the greatest pleasure to start this year off with one of the greatest, a women's mysteries teacher and founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft, Jane Hardwick Collings. Jane is a self-described postmenopausal grandmother at the sunset of her life. She supported women birthing at home for 30 years, giving us details on what she learned throughout those years and the life lessons she drew from her own births. Jane shares her boundless wisdom on an array of topics from reconnecting to our menstrual cycle, birth imprints, rites of passage, and even the formula for life we can unearth from our own births. This is a must-listen episode for all. Enjoy. Jane, it is truly such an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Sky. I'm so happy to be able to contribute for your podcast. How epic to be focusing on the realness of it. Yeah. Good on you. Oh, thanks. That means so much. <laughs> I guess I would love to start off today by chatting a little bit about your own life journey. What were some of the experiences that influenced or guided you along the way? Yeah, well, I'm 63 now, a postmenopausal grandma, so I'm... I'm really in that harvest phase of my life, the mm-hmm. autumn of my life. So looking back to when this journey began that I'm now living the harvest of mm-hmm. <laughs> was back when I was basically I, I did my nursing training as a 19, 20, 21 year old. And then I did my midwifery training as a 25 year old. And what really happened for me 
was a gigantic awakening mm -hmm. in my midwifery training. Like I, I, um, I grew up in a typical patriarchal family, although I didn't really know that that's what it was at the time. I just had this kind of awareness growing up in a, in a very privileged, blessed life on the northern beaches of of Sydney and New South Wales. I, I I knew that I was somehow less than because I was a female, but I hadn't really kind of uh, felt the total impact of that until I did my midwifery training. And what I saw in this like big um, university training hospital, so state-of-the-art, best thing available, mm -hmm. I, what I saw as a student midwife was institutionalized acts of abuse and violence being carried out on women and babies masquerading as safety. Yeah, okay. And and really what happened was I kind of woke up. I woke up to the patriarchy at that point and I really saw like um, disrespect actually and more focus and um, intention on, on the system working rather than it working for the women and their families. Mm -hmm. So that, that like, that, that was a horrible realization, like a, you know, like a dawning of a crashing down of actually it's not so good out here. Yeah. And so I went off I, I, and I realized being there, I was complicit, you know, like I was part of it and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. And then I, I, I moved into the world of home birth and I did an apprenticeship with a home birth midwife and I, and I uh, was a home birth midwife in um, New South Wales for 30 years and learned so much in that, you know, so much about what normal is. Yeah. <laughs> and also having my own babies was a massive teaching for me. And that's really where my work at um, understanding the shamanic dimensions of pregnancy and birth and mothering really showed up for me when I had my own experience. Because I have this kind of perspective that I've seen, that I realized from my own giving birth that... Um, we have the birth we have to teach us what we need to learn about ourselves to take us to the next place on our journey. Yeah. And that like so much happened for me. I was, I was imagining I was going to have a home birth. I was a home birth midwife and I ended up having an um, in second stage cesarean because I couldn't, um, I pushed for hours and hours and I couldn't budge his head. I didn't know it was a he at the time, but, and I later realized the head I couldn't budge was my own I was trying to control the situation. I, what what that birth taught me was about surrender because I didn't do it. Yeah. But I didn't even know that I didn't do it and I didn't even know that I didn't even know how to surrender. So <laughs> it was having that experience that basically unraveled my life to me where I realized why I do what I do the way I do it. And I, I learned in that case, as I mentioned, the shamanic dimensions because you know, how we give birth is like a culmination of our life thus far and like a readout of our mindset, mm -hmm. our beliefs, attitudes and fears, particularly about our own selves and our bodies. And so, you know, I had that massive teaching. And then, I, as I said, I was a home birth midwife for 30 years and I started doing workshops with women to prepare for birth. And then, you know, as I was learning, I realized that, it sounds so silly to to realize this, but uh, that birth is not an isolated incident and rather, like I said, it's a culmination of your life thus far, but it's also related to your experience of your menstrual cycle yeah. and how you were initiated into womanhood at Menark, first period, and it's also, we have to add to it the childhood trauma that we would have experienced and what kind of behaviors and fears and everything that sets up and of course our own birth how we're born so I learned so much so much and then doing workshops um started doing workshops about the menstrual cycle because you know that's actually where it all begins in terms of becoming a woman and then because she who is initiated into womanhood at the altar of menarch is the woman that shows up to give birth completely enculturated mm -hmm. by her experience at Menarch about how she's supposed to behave to be accepted by the culture because that's how rites of passage work. We'll probably get into that later. But mm -hmm. then I started the School of Shamanic Womancraft at the beginning of my menopause journey, although I didn't realize it was that at the time. But, yeah, so that's really 
how I got here. And you asked what were what were some of the things that influenced me on the way. And um, well, the realization of this is a really massive a massive thing to put together. And also the wisdom of the cycles. You know, we realize it or not by the rhythm of our menstrual cycle and the lunar cycle and the seasons of the earth and all of that. And I, I think probably one of the main things that influenced me as well as having my own babies was that um, we moved from the city and lived in the bush. So I um, got to really experience the seasons and the cycles of everything in that way like living close to the earth and that was amazing yeah. and um as well i think my interest in mythic tales and archetypes has helped me along the way mm -hmm. that's really helped me understand that uh, the way i feel now is because i'm living an archetype of the warrior queen and it's not about me being cranky and aggressive i'm a warrior queen yes i love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and Two other things I thought of that have impacted me along the way have been um, my children all went to Steiner Education for their primary school and, and that was a lovely grounded way to live that the children got to experience and therefore the family around them. I loved that. And also doing Qigong was a wonderful thing and continues to be a wonderful thing for me to understand energy and mm -hmm. how, how that all works in our body and what we can do with it. And I guess so the other thing that I did all along the way was I was very involved in the politics around birth yeah. at, at all kinds of levels. Yeah. So that's a long answer, but there you go. <laughs> You've had an incredible journey, so there is so much for us to talk about. But I guess if we could take it back to the births of your own children, mm -hmm. could you walk us through those experiences and the lessons that you received from them? Mm, love to. Okay, so... Just working, just starting that off by saying that our births are our teachers. Yeah. Like we have the experience we need to have that has the lesson in it that we need to take us to the next place. And so my first birth um, in 1985, as I already mentioned, was my, um, I was a home birth midwife and I had, you know, I was having a home birth and that was, that was what I was thinking I was doing. And as I mentioned, I had a, I transferred to hospital after you know pushing for hours and hours and ended up having the second stage cesarean which was disappointing and you know devastating would probably be a better word to describe it but the thing for me was that I recognized how I felt mm -hmm. you know like I had this feeling about the experience and it was a very familiar feeling it wasn't a new thing mm -hmm. it's like that got me really curious and I thought like when have I thought about this when have I felt this before and before and before and anyway cut a long story short what it really took me to was um the story of my life and how um the 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 reasons why I had decided as a child that it was not safe to surrender and um that I had unconsciously internalized that perspective this world is not a safe place for me to surrender and so without even realizing that um, that's what showed up in my labor yeah. and had I known what I know now I would have been able to detect that earlier based on understanding the connection between the sexuality of one sender a woman has to do to give birth is the same sort of surrender she has to do to have an orgasm so had I known what I know now, I could have detected that the difficulty I was having around that surrender could have been a clue. And it's something that I um, use in my practice of helping women now in as one of the questions. So how is, like, particularly if they've had intervention when things have really slowed down or whatever, which is a sign of, you know, not feeling safe and not surrendering to the process. And also I've written an article which is on my website that's called orgasm as teacher and preparation for birth. So, you know, it's a way to practice surrender in preparation for the surrender of birth. So that 
so that was my kind of initiation into motherhood and such a massive teaching for me. And then in, in unraveling all of that and the impact of, on me of you know, not feeling safe to surrender and all that kind of stuff, I, I had my next baby two and a half years later in 1988 and I had a home, home birth after cesarean. So I cleared whatever I needed to clear to realize that actually what I, I needed, well, what that birth taught me is about trust mm -hmm. because if you're having a VBAC you really need so that's vaginal birth after cesarean you really need to trust birth yeah. because everybody else is not trusting that that and scaring the shit out of you saying your uterus and a rupture and blah and blah and blah so I had to really like lean into my trust of birth which I had from my um, experience as a home birth midwife. And um, so, yeah, as I said, I had a home birth after cesarean. It was a six-hour labor, you know. So after that very different experience from my first, I really learned that trust in labor was what I needed to have mm -hmm. to have a vaginal birth. Can I just quickly ask, was there anything that you did in between those births that helped you learn to surrender or trust yourself to birth? Like, was there anything that you practiced that you could share with us? Well, it was more the unraveling of why I wasn't going to trust it or why I wasn't going to yeah. surrender, you know, and to unhook from that. Like, mm -hmm. so my own, my own story around that has its links in all kinds of things like always these things do. Mm -hmm. But when I realized that I was so... Um, actually terrified to surrender, then all I needed to do was to create the situations around me where I wouldn't be terrified to surrender, where I would feel safe mm -hmm. and you know, where I would be able to trust the people that I called to me to help me. And, and really, so it was more the inner work that I had to do to understand why that was even an issue for me. Yeah. So, so in terms of other women listening to this and wondering what they can do, this is this is the preparation for birth is is your inner work and to mm -hmm. to look at the connections between your own birth and and the childhood trauma was the real thing for me that I actually got really super sick as a four-year-old and the story goes I nearly died and I miraculously pulled through and all of that kind of thing and you know like I can't actually remember a big chunk of that because you know I was four, but I probably was drugged to the eyeballs in the process. But yeah. I, I do. Um, so, so e being able to identify that as, as uh, you know, the fear of surrendering to whatever, you know, like trusting people. We're just going to give you another needle, and like you can imagine all the mm -hmm. horribleness. That it was simply as simply to connect the reason why, you know. And um, so, yeah, so that would be the thing to suggest to everybody that they unravel the, their lives to see why they have the experience that they have and what is it teaching them. So the, the, it's not one size fits all, you know, it's really yeah. because we can trust birth, for goodness sake. Like, look at, look at the population on the planet. You know, birth works. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and really, it's 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 the conditions we've created around under which we need to give birth these days that are the thing that's impacting us as well as our own story. Mm -hmm. So I hope that helps others. But you know, it's a forensic archaeological dig of why you do what you do the way you do it. Yeah, which is basically the modality that I've created through. The, all the practices within the School of Shamanic Womancraft now. It's like looking at our previous rites of passage for the patterns and therefore the trajectory we're on and therefore the setup at the next rite of passage and also looking at our red thread or our mother line, like what's the story that you're living in your mother line? You know, my mother line has sexual abuse in it and that's, you know, that I, I personally wasn't sexually abused as a child but my... Um, mother was and before and before and that you know you don't surrender to that or you do to save your life or whatever so it's so there'll be so many complicated things that are contributing to our psyche and therefore so looking at the red the rites of passage and the patterns and the, therefore the setups 
and the red thread or motherline trauma that you that will all be living like it, it doesn't mean everybody lives the same life but there'll be something going on that everyone's dealing with mm-hmm. and then the other thing is your own birth imprint like it doesn't it's not that you give birth how you were born but there's certainly a pattern that gets set up with your birth imprint that will be playing out in some way mm-hmm. and um, that's another clue as well as um, your relationship with your body which will have um, a lot to do with how we were how a woman was or a girl was welcomed to womanhood at menarch you know because the dominant story at menarch first period is not just an initiation into womanhood it's an initiation into menstrual shame and menstrual shame is like everywhere you can't not have menstrual shame it's it's part of the patriarchy in fact, it's known as one of the organizing principles to maintain the oppression of women within the patriarchy. That comes from the work of a wonderful women's health um, practitioner, Sharon Maloney, did a PhD about all this stuff, how menstrual shame affects birth. Because menstrual shame leads to body shame. Yeah. And body shame leads to all manner of terrible things, you know, mental health stuff, body dysmorphia, low self-esteem dangerous and sexual decision-making, terrible stuff. And our culture encourages us to reject our menstrual cycle. You know, they even market menstrual cycle suppression Mm. or you go on the pill, which is not really a menstrual cycle, etc. So if we're encouraged to reject our menstrual cycle or we just do reject our menstrual cycle because that's the dominant thing, if we reject our menstrual cycle, we reject our body. If we reject our body, we reject ourselves. Then we're lost. You know, and birth requires us to have faith in our body. And if you've rejected your body, then, you know, it's a problem. Yeah. Could you give us some insight into why it is so crucial for us to live by and fully understand each phase of our menstrual cycles? Mm. Well, our menstrual cycle is running our life, whether we realize it or not. Yes. (laughs) And everyone who lives under the same root. So true. You know, if you don't believe it, just ask them. (laughs) And our menstrual cycle is our inner compass. It's, to quote Alexandra Pope, the barometer of our well-being. It's like everything that's not working in your life shows up in your menstrual cycle and your menstrual cycle does whatever she has to do to get your attention, to bring harmony into your life, to reduce toxins, whether that's the food you eat, the way you live or the relationships you're having or the thoughts you have about yourself. And recently embarrassingly recently like 10 or 15 years ago the um, medical profession has realized that the menstrual cycle needs to be considered as the fifth vital sign for women mm-hmm. so you know that's not a minor detail you know that's a main thing and and it's actually our body's priority like our body prioritizes it so um, it's it's so important to understand it because then you will understand yourself yeah. like You know, part of one of the taglines for menstrual suppression drugs is feel the same every day, which is not how women feel. Mm. Women who have a cycle feel different every day as they progress around the cycle. And the closest thing we have to understand how the menstrual cycle works is the lunar cycle. Surprise, surprise. Same, Same usual length of time, waxing, waning, full moon, blah, 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 like all of those things correspond to the menstrual cycle and the other really easy way to understand the menstrual cycle and how it affects us is to remember that it is a cycle and everything goes through the same cycle but just at different speeds and the cycle of the of a year of the earth of the earth seasons is the simplest way to describe how the menstrual cycle affects each of us and it's like we have our own inner seasons Mm. so we have our own winter spring summer autumn then winter again around and around and around and around and the winter time is just before and during the bleeding phase the springtime is after the bleeding finishes taking us up towards be- a little while before ovulation and then the ov- before and after and during ovulation is like the summer And then the autumn season is after that and before the time before the blood begins. So 
we, we can divide our menstrual cycle into two halves and then uh, two weeks within each of those halves. And that happens regardless of how long your cycle is. And like, there's so much to learn about this. And I've, I've written a um, little document called the spiritual practice of menstruation that women get when they sign up to my website for my lunar newsletter. And I've outlined it all there. And I think there's an article on my website as well. But basically, the reconnecting with our menstrual cycle is actually the revolutionary act that women need to do now. It's part of reclaiming feminine knowledge, wisdom and power. You know, anything to do with women or the feminine that's put down or made a joke of or feared or made invisible like the menstrual cycle and menopause is a clue that it holds great power. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing to know. The reason why we've been discouraged to um, live by our menstrual cycle or even know anything about it is because it's a very powerful process. Mm -hmm. And if all women connected with their menstrual cycle far out, everything would change. And the other part to know is that when you're on hormonal contraception, particularly the oral contraceptive pill, the bleeding that happens then is not a menstrual cycle. It's just a breakthrough bleeding from when you stop taking the hormones that maintain like a pseudo pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And um, the other hormonal contraceptions where you don't have a menstrual cycle, obviously you're in this sort of limbo land. And um, IUDs, you do have a menstrual cycle, but so often um, what's going on there is because IUDs don't stop conception, they just stop the conceptus from embedding. So, you know, like, the other thing women need to really do is understand that contraception is not a women's issue. It's a, it's a couple's issue and that, you know, there's a lot more to learn about the cycle so that you don't have to go onto such outrageously heavy hormonal contraceptives. Like the pill switches off 150 mechanisms in your body. And if you're going to be on the pill for whatever reason, at least take the sugar pills when it's the dark moon because then you'll be in sync with the lunar cycle. Yeah. Or if possible, just get off it. Just get off <laughs> it. But sometimes, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. That's, that would be the recommendation. And, like, all you need to do is read, read up about it. There's heaps of books around now, which is one. Mm -hmm. um, it's a bit of a scary thing, actually. And one of the things that um, happens when you're on the pill, which is a very devastating is that you're attract if you're a heterosexual woman then you're attracted to a very different kind of man than you would be if you were not on the pill really that's so interesting yeah because when we're on the pill it's kind of like a pseudo pregnancy mm -hmm. and we we're attracted to men who are more family oh. so and when we're not on the pill we're not attracted to family we're attracted to the men who have the most different kind of chromosomal gene sort of set up to our own because that's what ensures, you know, the highest chance of survival of um, babies is different chromosome information from mother and father. Okay. So often women go off, the, they're on the pill, they meet their love, they go off the pill to start making babies and they're like, oops, you don't smell right. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's very common. Mm, so interesting. And there's so much to learn about the um, fertility in the menstrual cycle. You know, like the menstrual cycle is not just about the blood, you know. That's like a small part of it, not even a whole week necessarily. And the rest of the cycle is a cycle to um, really harness because we have superpowers mm. around our cycle. You know, like when we're ovulating, we have people eating out of our hands. Yeah. We are <laughs> We are the most charismatic a human being can be, the most honoured and articulate. So true. You know? There's another thing that maybe people won't know about, which is a bit of a hidden truth, mm -hmm. is that we ovulate or we have the potential to ovulate a second time in our cycle. Oh, okay. So not just the midpoint or wherever it is on your on, in your cycle when you ovulate, but we, we also have the potential to ovulate when the moon is in the same phase as it was on the day we were born. I have twins. I wonder if that's what happened. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. That's often a thing with twins. Like you get, you conceive on your cycle um, ovulation and also on your lunar ovulation. So it isn't necessarily all the time that this happens, but it's the potential. And there was, there's studies done about it and 
people kind of poo-hoo it because it's a bit too cosmic. But, you know, there's plenty of women who have gotten pregnant when they're like, I don't know how I got pregnant. I was bleeding or I wasn't ovulating or whatever. And so the way to find this out is to just Google so your birth date and time and place because it's different around the world Mm -hmm. and moon phase. So, and then you might get a degree as an information, as the information you've got to do the research to figure out what that degree is in a phase. Okay. And then you just need to take the same contraceptive precautions as you would prior to your cycle ovulation and avoid sperm in you for like five, three, five, seven days before that ovulation. And that lunar ovulation is called the natal lunar return ovulation. So... There aren't often there aren't signs for that, like no fertile mucus or anything like that. So it's just like comes. And mm-hmm. apparently, men have an increased sperm count on their lunar ovulation time. Okay. And for me, postmenopausally, and everybody else in that situation, it's still a powerful time. It's like a increased creativity day, say. Mm-hmm. So that's it's also obviously another chance for conception. So for those who trying to get pregnant that's another time that you could be um, building into your calendar as a potential fertile time yeah okay Mm. wow my mind is blown (laughs) (laughs) so the menstrual cycle is like so important yeah so interesting and i you've got some really insightful information on your website which i will link for everyone in the show notes Mm. bringing it back to birth what was the life lesson you took away from the birth of your second child yeah So in that second birth, it was really about trust, Mm -hmm. you know, like I had to trust my body, I had to trust birth and trust life, like to be able to surrender, trust birth that I was, that the process was going to work and um, trust my life too and also let go of my expectations, you know, like I was planning to have a vaginal birth after cesarean but, you know. I, I also had to be open to that not happening and that the next teaching would happen. So, you know, it's not just about what we order, you know. We have what we need to – we have the experience we need to have. Mm. The, the other thing to say at this point too is that the quality that the birth teaches us about ourselves is the quality that we need to bring to mothering that child mm. because when we grow a baby inside ourselves, we're not just growing – the baby, we're growing ourselves into being the mother the baby has come for. And that includes the birth experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to look beyond nothing went the way I wanted it or everybody interfered or whatever, whatever. You know, what did what showed up as the teaching for oneself about that? Mm-hmm. And and then to bring that quality, as I said, to mothering that those babies. And they'll all be different, you know? Like, so my first... Um, birth like 1985 where I learned surrender like I need to continue to bring surrender into my relationship with Sam my 35 year old grown-up man you know like if if I don't surrender in the way that I am with him then we just end up back in that his head against my cervix bang 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 (laughs) and that's not very pretty with a 63 and a 35 year old I can assure you (laughs) and then for my daughter Ellie in 1988, you know, where I learned about trust, that's that's the quality I've needed to bring in my relationship with her as her mother. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I need to trust that she's making all the decisions she needs to make, regardless of whether I think that they're the right things or not, or that the life that's that's emerging for her, I trust that. I trust her, and I trust that, rather than going into any sort of Fear state, for example. Yeah. And then my my third birth, which was um, in 1992. So, what you've got to we have to do is we have to remember to take what we learned from our previous births into the next one. Otherwise, you know, we may need to have an, a repeat performance to learn the thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I took with me my my um, learnings or teachings about surrender and trust to that birth, the next one, Jackson in 1992. And so what his birth taught me was about presence. And the way that happened was I was um, 
having another home birth, this time a water birth, and I got towards, you know, what we call transition, and I'm thinking, there's no way I can do this. This is, like, ridiculous. What am I thinking? I can't handle this. This is terrible. I need to go to the hospital and have an epidural. So you know, I was having this whole experience in my head and thinking, if I say that to my husband and my midwives, I knew what they would say. They would say, oh, but you're doing so well. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe this is transition. And so, like, I, this all happened in my head, right? No one. And, and so I realized <clears throat> I had to have a baby. I mean, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I really realized I needed to come into the present moment and have a baby rather than be trying to get away from the pain. Yeah. So his birth taught me that rather than trying to get away from the pain or figure out how I could, I needed to be present with it and go right deep into the pain. And when I did that, I had the most amazing experience. I've never had anything like it since, and I hadn't certainly before. It's like the peak spiritual experience of my life where when I focused purely on the pain I was experiencing in my body, so I came into my body, I focused totally with all my attention on the pain, and the next thing that happened was I was catapulted into an altered state of consciousness where I felt no pain, wow. zero pain. Like I was, I was aware enough to know that I wasn't feeling any pain, but and I, I was thinking I couldn't actually tell if I was the contraction or I was me or the baby was me or who, what, you know, like I was in that kind of oneness actually. I didn't realize what was going on at the time, but I did think I better not think about this too much. Sure. It'll, it'll, I'll snap myself out of it. So I (laughs) fortunately thought that and I stayed with that. And I reckon I was probably, you know, I put my fingers up inside me and I could feel like a, bit of cervix left you know what we might call an anterior lip which is actually just the way it works it's nothing that's not a problem mm-hmm. that's the way the cervix opens and um i put my fingers in there and i i actually kept my fingers in there with the next contraction and felt that shift and then um staying in this altered state of consciousness i i felt the baby starting to move down through my vagina and um, and then like it, the photos of me look like I'm asleep. Oh, then wow. I, he, I wasn't actually making big pushing sounds or, or anything the, uh, the baby was just coming. And then I pushed his head into my hands. It was in the water. Nobody could even see that. And then the, the next contraction came and I lifted him out of the water. And that's when my, I came back into sort of normal consciousness. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so... Amazing. It's the most amazing thing. So <laughs> his birth taught me presence. Yeah. And I like I have needed to be present. Like that's the quality I need to bring. Have needed to bring in mothering Jackson, particularly as a um, he's he's now you know twenty nine this year and um, a grown up. But when he was growing up, you know, one of the things he would say to me all the time is, "Mum, Mum, are you listening to me? Are you here?" <laughs> so it's like this con. Yes, I'm here. I'm present. Yeah. (laughs) And so that sequence, which is surrender from Sam, trust from Ellie and presence from Jackson, that's my like sacred birth formula, my magic go-to formula. Whenever I feel stuck or unsure about what to do or not knowing, you know, get frightened or whatever, the first thing I have to do is realize I'm obsessing over something Mm -hmm. and then I need surrender, which means shut up stop bloody driving yourself nuts and then i need to trust the process and then i need to be present Mm -hmm. and so that works for me every time and something that i would really encourage your you and your listeners to do is to go over the births you've had and figure out what they taught you about yourself and write it as a sequential formula to return to well, particularly for the next birth, but for everything. Yeah. And I, what I realized is that I've needed, I needed that formula to negotiate my next big rite of passage, which was menopause. Right. So these teachings that we have from our births are massive yeah. and so important. And, 
you know, worthy of really leaning in to figure out what they are. Yeah. So do your rites of passage begin at your manor? No. Well, yes, but it starts at your own birth. Okay. So how you were born. So this is the women's mysteries or the blood mysteries, as they're called, are our rites of passage. Mm -hmm. Now, we have heaps of rites of passage in our life, like uh, getting married, first day of school, you know, getting your driver's license, Mm -hmm. you know, divorce, all that kind of stuff. But then we also have physical rites of passage, which are the blood mysteries or the women's mysteries. Mm -hmm. And how a rite of passage works is that, they create and reinforce culture on the inside through the mindset it creates, the beliefs, attitudes, and fears, and on the outside by everybody conforming to that. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that whatever happens around a rite of passage, whatever is said or not said, done or not done, whoever's there, what's going on in the world around you at that time, all teaches the person going through the rite of passage on a subliminal level, which means you don't even realize you're being taught, you're being enculturated, which is just a nice way of saying brainwashed, and taught how your culture values the next role you're going into, mm-hmm. and therefore how to behave to be accepted by the culture. So the easiest one to understand is is menarch, because our first period, because like usually you know, average age 13, sometimes as young as nine now and up to like 16, 17, depending on, you know, your life situation and how much fat you've got on your body, actually. You know, you have to have a certain amount of fat on your body to menstruate. So whatever happens around the menstru- your initiation into your menstrual cycle teaches you how your culture values woman and therefore how to behave, to be accepted as a woman. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I mentioned already that actually what happens mostly is an initiation into menstrual shame, and that teaches women that to be a woman is no big deal. Actually, it's potentially shameful, and all you really need to do is just carry on regardless, no matter how you feel, and hide your menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like... That's fucked up, right? You know, yeah. that's, that's unhealthy. And that causes menstrual pathology, which is through the roof, you know? Like infertility is a menstrual cycle pathology, as are endometriosis, adenomyosis, polycystic ovary syndrome. All of those things are to do with the menstrual cycle. And they're the menstrual cycle screaming for attention. Yeah. So, so these rites of passage, our own birth, because how you're born creates your birth imprint, and that stays with you forever especially when, how you are within a process. So how you birth things other than babies, you know, like how you are in the creative act or even how you are making dinner, you know, like there'll be a process that unfolds whenever you're doing a process that is almost like a direct reflection of how you were born. And, and the, the easiest ways to understand that things are like women who've had, or people actually, this is the same for everybody, mm-hmm. um, people who've had induction of labor, you know, like we know babies initiate labor, right? We already know that, right? So when a labor is artificially initiated, then the baby as a grown-up or even as a child often has difficulty starting things because they haven't had that starting thing happen for them. Yeah, right. And when you have drug, when the mum has drugs in labor, at whatever point that happens, let's say it's in the middle, mm-hmm. um, for then the baby as a you know, older person, that whenever they get to the middle of whatever they're doing, the drugged experience comes on and they, they, pretend, they could have all kinds of experiences, but mostly what seems to happen is they forget what they're doing or they lose interest in what they're doing or they can't be bothered anymore. Mm. So these, these um, imprints are not a curse. They're a pattern that we need to get to know and use to our, you know, advantage. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I was a drugged birth back in 1958 when they used terrible things to, you know, horrible things, anesthetic drugs. Yeah, okay. And my mum had that at the beginning of the middle third of what ended up being the beginning of the middle third of the labour of me. And so when I, and so she, she was basically rendered unconscious for the middle third of the labour. Mm. Then she said, so, and then when, when the drugs wore off, I woke up and got my energy back and I pushed the baby out. So how that plays out for me is when I get to the middle third of whatever I'm doing, I, I, 
I lose interest mm. or I can't be bothered or I can't even remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm. Now, before I realized that, that was a real problem. But now that I know what it is, I know that that's the time I need to step away from what I'm doing and go and do something else, like change my focus. Mm -hmm. And then I usually learn something or get something or figure something out. And then I can return like mum did to the process of getting my energy back and getting on with the job. And the other thing that we're learning about rites of passage, the impact of what goes on around you as well as what's actually going on within you is the experience that mamas are having around birthing in COVID time. Mm -hmm. So the impact of the restrictions around birth, the, lack, the reduced choices and blah and blah and blah that are specifically COVID related are teaching us that it's not just what's going on for the woman and in her relationship and whatnot, it's what's going on in the world around her is teaching her how her culture feels about the next role she's going into and therefore how to survive, how to, sorry, how to be accepted by the culture, what she has to do. And like just using this dreadful, dreadful example of COVID. Now here in Australia, when, um, so, so the story goes that um, COVID when it's at its worst and the restrictions are really, you know, on, that our culture teaches us that um, 10 people can go to a funeral Five people can go to a wedding and zero to one can go to a birth. So crazy. So birth and mothers are at the bottom of the barrel. Mm. And so that impacts us, you know, that teaches us that we're not, we're not worth it. Mm. So, so that teaches mothers having babies now that they don't matter. Mm. So these rites of passage happen. And the thing is that um, we've forgotten about it. Like it's, it's a new thing to have forgotten about this. Traditional cultures do this all the time. You know, this is a thing. And it, if you don't have a rite of passage, it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It means whatever happens is the rite of passage. Mm. And so we have to bring our, our, our mindfulness to this, especially at puberty for our boys and men arc for our girls and, 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 and welcome them in the way that they're hardwired to expect. Because a, a baby, a newborn, is hardwired to expect that its mother's going to look after it, mm -hmm. like dirt, right? And a girl going into Menarche is hardwired to expect that her mother or her mother equivalent, if she doesn't have a mother, is going to teach her about her body, teach her about the menstrual cycle and help her figure out how to manage it and what to do and how to work with the cycle and when, when to do this and when to do that and blah and blah. And that is not actually, well, it didn't happen for most of us. And it is changing now because there's women like you waking everybody up mm -hmm. and women like you who are thinking, I don't want what happened to me to happen to my daughter. Yeah. So I'm going to do the inner work I need to do to be able to welcome her to, to her womanhood in an empowered way. Because that's what I saw as a midwife, that we need to go back. We need to go back to, well, obviously birth. If everybody's born gently, everything changes and they're not mm. and if girls are welcomed into womanhood in an empowering way they are not going to roll over when some expert says trust me honey i know your body really well and i yeah. you know blah 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 they're going to say excuse me how could you know my body as well as me i've been menstruating for the last however many years and i know exactly what my body's telling me to do yeah. so i reckon that the the experience of bleeding in the menstrual cycle which is a time when our body, our womb actually, is calling us deep within, that's preparation for labour because that's what you need to do in labour. You need to go deep within. Yeah, so true. So for the women that are birthing in these current times and are dealing with that extra layer of anxiety, what could they do to better support themselves? Well, it depends on where you are in your pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Like if you're, if you're like 40 weeks and waiting to have a baby or, you know, like in the last trimester or whatever... <laughs> I think the most important things to do are to acknowledge your fears. Mm -hmm. Don't ignore them. Like, acknowledge them. Bring them out of the dark and up. And, you know, half the time acknowledging our fears makes them go away. We think, oh, why am I worried about that? That's not even a thing. Yeah. You know? So, so bring forth your fears and figure out because you have to believe something to have a fear. So... Acknowledge your fears and figure out what you need to believe to even have that fear. Half the time you won't even believe that belief. 
So then you can just check that out because we inherit all these fears from, you know, our our previous experiences, our relatives, our parents, our community, me, social media, uh, mainstream media, like everyone's scared of birth, right? So mm. fear is catchy. So acknowledge your fears, figure out if you believe the belief, you have to have the fear. If you do believe it, then maybe you don't, you ask yourself, do I want to believe that? If you don't want to believe that, then you need to update your beliefs, you know? Like if a belief is that it's going to be, um, I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to be able to handle it. Blah blah blah. I fear the pain. I fear the process. Rah rah rah. Then, um, what do you have to believe to have that fear? You have to believe something like your body doesn't work. Mm. Do you actually want to believe that? No, I don't want to believe my body doesn't work. So you update your belief and say my body is designed to give birth, and I just need to surrender and trust the process. So that's how you deal with that. But if you do believe the belief fear and you do want to keep believing it, then that's your warning. You know, mm-hmm. like if you if you fear having an I'm just going to make something up. If you fear having an episiotomy, and um, you believe that that's actually a decent fear, because the episiotomy rate where you're going to have your baby is 80 percent then you need to recognize that your fear is legit and do whatever you need to do to get yourself out of that situation where it's likely that you're going to have an episiotomy because that's why you're fearing it. It's a likely outcome. Mm. So that, acknowledge your fears and update your beliefs and do that with your partner too and your support people. You don't want people coming to your birth who are terrified of birth because that'll show up. And also in your primary relationship, like with your partner, that to work out what's going on between you because, you know, your relationship will play out in the birth. Mm -hmm. Also to unhook from the medical mindset that has us fear birth and to reconnect with your body, you know, because we're probably all out of our bodies. And for women whose babies are coming soon, to connect with the baby. Mm -hmm. Create an ongoing conversation, if you haven't already, with the baby. Mummy's here. How are you today? What do you need from me? Or... How, do I, how can I prepare best for what's coming and, 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 and have this conversation? And um, the other thing I think is a good idea is to create an inner temple, mm. like a, a safe sanctuary within your own self where you can retreat to in labor. And it's a private place. No one else can get there. And all you need to do is close your eyes and go there and maybe, you know, the much as much sort of imagination as you put into this will make it easier to go back there. Perhaps you think about a temple space in your womb where you go and sit there with the baby during the contractions and you work together with the, the contractions or the surges, whatever you want to call them, to to come to bring the baby earthside. So to create a safe inner sanctuary or temple like a meditation, you know, it's like a meditative space. And to go there in the contraction, so go inward during the contraction. Mm-hmm. And um, I think those two things would be the, probably the, so look at your ears and create your inner temple and talk to your baby for those whose babies are coming really soon. And for those who have still got time to go, um, it's really important to know that the single most impactful decision you make, impactful in terms of birth outcome is the decision you make about your primary carer and the place of birth. Mm -hmm. So the most intervention happens with private obstetricians in private hospitals. And so for those who are thinking, well, what about intervention? You know, sometimes you need intervention. Exactly. But the problem is so much intervention happens unnecessarily. And that's what we want to avoid. If we need intervention, we give great thanks. You know, I'm not trying to disrespect doctors or hospitals. If we need their help, we are so blessed to have it and we give great thanks. But unfortunately, all you need to do is look at the stats to see how much unnecessary intervention happens. And mostly that happens because of the care women are receiving or not receiving, which is helping them to have an undisturbed birth. So for those who have time to prepare, what you need to do is do figure out whatever you need to do to create an undisturbed birth. Now what that means is that you haven't got people all over you coaching you, 
It's you've got people around you protecting you so that you can surrender and go into your inner temple. Birth is not a spectator sport. Birth is not a community. Well, it is a community event, but the mother needs to go deep within. And she also needs to not be having to worry about everybody else there. Mm -hmm. We have to be our own priority in this process. So having a doula or your own private midwife is like five-star care. Mm -hmm. And she becomes your advocate because you don't, you do not want to have to be fighting for your rights in birth because everything will stop. And then the more time you've got, the more time you can spend in unraveling your life and figuring out from your previous rites of passage what trajectory you're on. Because at each next rite of passage, we come to a fork in the road. And one fork is the same old, same old way, the usual way, the way I always do stuff or the way it always happens to my family or whatever. And that's actually the wounded way, Mm -hmm. the unconscious way. And the other fork is the healed way. But to even know that there's a healed way, you have to realize you're on a wounded trajectory. Yeah, right. And then you need to do the inner work to take the other path of the healed way without any attachment to outcome, just that you're on the healed path. And then that's the that's the process that I explained before about unraveling the the information from your previous rites of passage and your menarch and your own birth. And I just want to add quickly because I forgot to say before in that birth formula process that every pregnancy results in a birth. An abortion is a birth. Yeah. A miscarriage is a birth. Whatever ends the pregnancy is the birth. And we've got to stop using the word miscarriage because that implies that the miscarriage, something wrong with the mother, right? Mm -hmm. Early pregnancy loss is is more of a mouthful, but that's the more appropriate term. So you need to figure out what those taught you about yourself as well in in that formula. So so unraveling why you are who you are and how everything makes sense in your life is the best preparation that you can do for birth if you've got the time. Mm. That's incredible advice. Thank you. We're running out of time, but yeah. could we quickly touch on birth imprints and mother lines a little bit deeper? Okay, so the red thread or the mother line, same thing. So so we are all simply and complicatedly the current version of whatever story has been going on in the mother behind you, behind her, behind her, behind, you know, your mother line, your red thread will have a story. It doesn't mean that everybody has the same life, but it means that they will be dealing with something. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, things, common things are mental health stuff like anxiety and depression and low self-esteem and addictions. And they're usually the tip of an iceberg of something that's the reason for those, which can be sexual abuse, which is really common, or um, other forms of abuse and neglect and abandonment and betrayal mm. and, you know, all of that. So, so your mother's experience will impact you, but it isn't necessarily that you're going to have the same life experience, but you'll be dealing with it. Yeah. Like the sexual abuse issue, as I mentioned, is, is, is one. So if you're the daughter of a mother who's sexually, been sexually abused, then she unconsciously raises you with that as her experience, obviously. But um, depending on what she does and how she does it, somehow or other she's either preparing you for the inevitability of that as she sees it because it's what happened to her or trying to protect you from it happening. And so the children of sexually abused parents get all these really weird mixed messages that they don't even really make sense of that impact their relationship with power, pleasure sex pain you know so so finding out what the story is in your red thread helps you be able to know that that's what's going to be unconsciously have been passed down to you and all it takes to unhook from that is one person and hopefully that's you or you know the women who are listening to say no this unconscious pattern of wounding stops with me i'm going to do the inner work required to not be unconscious about this and and heal my attitudes and beliefs to myself and whatever, whatever. Mm. And so it, how that shows up is that you start making different choices. There's just more consciousness to it. So that's the red thread thing. So the, the, it's not to say that your father doesn't impact you. Of course he does. And that's your white thread, the father line. But mm-hmm. 
the mother line, because the other part of this is that when a mother is pregnant with a daughter, at 20 weeks gestation, so halfway through, all the eggs form in that fetus's womb, I mean ovary. So, so the implication of that is that pregnant with a daughter from halfway on, you have all your grandchildren in your womb. Wow. And we were all in our grandmother's womb. Mm. So as a oocyte, which is the precursor to an egg, but it's actually our original matter, we experience the second half of our grandma's pregnancy of our mother and the birth. Yeah. And you know, energetically, but we know energetically is impactful. So, so that's part of why um, it, this red thread thing is so significant. And then the other thing about Im babies imprinting during pregnancy. So at 13 weeks gestation, so that's like at the end of the first trimester, the baby's hippocampus forms. And the hippocampus is one of the amazing things in our brains. And it's, it's part of memory making. And um, so from that point on, we start basically bonding with our mother by learning from her, by what she does. And we experience, you know, the hormonal and physiological experience of whatever she's going through. And so from 13 weeks onward, the baby is learning about life through how the mother experiences it. Mm. And, and so this is all preparation, you know, part of the kind of, I don't know, intelligence of, of it all. Because what it does is it prepares the baby on so many levels, including and especially physiologically, how for how life will be when it comes out. Yeah, right. You know, that's what's behind babies recognizing other people's voices and um, musical tracks and whatnot. Mm -hmm. you know? So, so everything that we experience pregnant with a baby, the baby experiences it as well. So that's not like. A, something to freak people out about it's something for everybody to be mindful of and not feel guilty about either because the baby needs to know this it's like it's getting its brief you know mm. it's job brief life with this mother it's <laughs> going to be like this so i need to be ready for that and not be shocked by this or that mm. that kind of thing and then imprinting continues on till we're about seven years old and the way that works is that as a child growing up Whatever our parents do, or whoever the main people are in our lives, whatever they do about things, we learn that that's the way to do it. Like, we don't question it. It's part of the design there, or the intelligence is that we're learning from the people in, ahead of us who have survived, because whatever they do has resulted in them surviving, so that must be the way to do it. Mm. So, so that's the thing, you know, and what's that saying? Show me uh, somebody at seven and I'll show you the, I think it's probably boy and then man. But uh, so our first from conception to seven years old is when we lay down our, uh, all the ways we know how to do stuff based on what we've learned and observed from the, the bosses around us. Mm. And then, you know, then we go into the next seven to 14, say, and we're starting to separate a bit from our parents. And then... You know, the thing goes, you know, we, we, we mother how we were mothered until we realize we're doing that and decide whether we want to or not. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Wow, I've had so many aha moments listening to you speak today, <laughs> <laughs> which makes it really hard to wrap it up. But I guess to conclude the episode today, what would be your parting piece of advice for my listeners? Yeah, okay. Um, all you need to do is be with whatever's arising for you in the moment. Mm -hmm. So... You don't have to go, like, in, in, in an urgent situation, just be with whatever's arising because it'll be like the tip of the iceberg and it will have at its base whatever need isn't being met. But if you deal with whatever the thing is that's arising in a healed way, you know, like choose the healed way, the healthy healed way, then you'll be dealing with whatever need hasn't been met. So, mm -hmm. so don't ignore what's arising. Be with it. Okay find the clues there for what it's where it's trying to take you in terms of um you know in terms of healing and for those mamas birthing now like I, I was to say like stand up for your rights you can't do that if you're having a baby but you need somebody who's going to 
And the magic word in a situation, say, in a hospital where they're wanting to do stuff to you and you don't want them to do it, the magic words are, I decline, I decline. Or if they say, you know, well, if you don't do this, then blah, 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 scary stuff, coercion, to just ask for time to talk to your partner about it or your doula or your midwife or whatever. Just please let us have some time to talk about it. So you've got the I decline and give me some time to process what you're telling me and the go deep within, go deep within and just ignore everybody. <laughs> and and if they want to do stuff, you know, just close your eyes and ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the best advice. Oh, honestly, I've been completely engrossed in every word you've spoken today. It's been such an eye-opening conversation. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your incredible wisdom with us all. It's truly been an honor. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. And I just like my heart goes out to all the mamas having babies now. And, you know, just to say, like, if it's happening, you're up for it. So just go for it. Unfortunately, that is the end of today's episode. I genuinely could have talked for hours with Jane. She is one of the greatest teachers and wisest of women. It feels so deeply aligned to start season three off with her wisdom. There is so much we didn't have time to delve deeper into today and maybe in the future she will kindly grace our ears again. But if any of today's topics sparked some questions or interest for you, then I highly recommend heading over to Jane's website for some writings and resources she has available. And I also have her incredible book, 10 Moons, available on the PBA website. There is so much to learn about ourselves when we enter this season of life and I guess my greatest wish this season is to help lift the veil on birth and encourage you to start remembering that this experience is so much more than just the birth of a baby. There is so much learning, unlearning, healing that can happen through this rite of passage, not just for ourselves but for our future generations. That is truly the power of birth. But like Jane says, we must start at the beginning and unravel our life experiences in order to make those connections and grow from them. I know even the thought of this work can feel completely overwhelming, but there are so many incredible resources out there to help guide you, and I plan to share as many of them as I can this season. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. Let me know what you think over on the PBA Instagram, and I'll see you all next week for another episode of Positive Birth Australia.